This is Elected Women Across America, a podcast brought to you by the National Foundation for Women Legislators. I'm Brenna Kihu-Skelly. We're bringing you stories from the elected women that shape our organization on issues that shape them and the districts they serve. In this episode, the spotlight is elected women and their stories, why they ran and what drives them. We'll hear from Delegate April Miller of Maryland and Councilwoman Lydia Asifa Dawson of Federal Way in Washington State. At NFWL's annual conference in November, I was able to meet Delegate Miller and learn about why she decided to run for public office and more about her experience in public service. Having long served on the Frederick County Board of Education and then the Frederick Community College Board of Trustees, Delegate Miller has dedicated her career in public policy to improving education for her constituents. Outside of her legislative duties, Delegate Miller is an optometrist, and her work engages her in one-on-one honest conversations about the most pressing concerns of her constituents daily. Inspired by her children to serve and motivated by the needs of her community, Delegate Miller uses her position in the Maryland General Assembly to stand for the voices of real parents and students, particularly those with special needs. I am here with Delegate Miller from Maryland on Elected Women Across America for National Foundation for Women Legislators. I am so grateful for you to join us and taking time to record with us and taking time to be with us here in Orlando. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's awesome. So excited to get to know you a bit. First, we we really are just interested in hearing from elected women about what inspired you to run for office. I think taking that leap takes a lot of courage and it's different for everyone. So what was your what was your reason? What was your moment? My moment was my children. My moment was my daughter not having the appropriate math curriculum. Mm-hmm. They changed the math curriculum when she was in about fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And it was very upsetting to a lot of families in the community. And the board of ed was ignoring them. They weren't, I called to say, when's the next meeting? Mm-hmm. When can we come and speak? When are you guys talking about this? Mm-hmm. And silence. They're like, we're not talking about it. I'm like, you have more men at PTA meetings than I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. You need to start looking at this and doing something about it. And mm-hmm. so, no, well, they weren't. So I said, you know what? A friend of mine said, why don't you run? We happen to have four seats open on the board of ed that, that time. And literally the day before the filing deadline, ran down there, I filed, the rest is history, eight years yes. on the board of ed. Wow. Congratulations. Yes, That's I had awesome. No aspirations of my day job. I'm a optometrist. Oh, wow. So I heard a lot of information from my patients coming in about yeah. um, that they were also ignoring the needs of their the special ed children. And yeah. so the, those that are most in need. So it really impacted me. And if not me, then who? Yep. I think that you got to fight for your kids. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think we hear that a lot for women, elected women. Mm-hmm. They all seem to have that really a good a really good driving reason. And so it's always fun to hear what everyone's moment was. So that, that's exciting. And when you ran for the first time, did you win yes. first off? Oh, wow. Yes. See, that is great. Yeah. So I, I had never had any political experience. Yeah. I had grown up in the community. So I had been in, been in the community since I was in fourth grade and we came back and we wanted to raise our family there. Mm-hmm. And so, so that helped. But when I got third in the primary out of 16, there were 16 of us running. Oh, wow. Um, and they take the top eight. And I got third in the primary. And I remember getting a call from, you know, media. And I, you're not used to that, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they don't call us in the media with your local eye doctor, right? right. We don't take those calls. When I got the call, they're like, we can't find anything about you. We can't find. I'm like, 
that's supposed to be a good thing, right? You're not, right. Supposed, but I guess in politics, you know, it's yeah, like, right, great right, right, yeah. Argue, right? So it was just really funny. I remember going yeah. to Costco, but yeah, I got there and then I ended up getting fourth in the general. And I ended up running with um, two really great guys. One's a Democrat and another was a Republican and I'm a Republican. Our school board race is nonpartisan, but we became really good friends because, because we were all fighting for the same thing. We were fighting, especially against the math curriculum and mm-hmm. we were able to set it up so we could and repeal it and change it at the first meeting. Wow. So running as a team. Effective. Okay. (laughs) You need to do partner up with great people and get your message out there. And that's where you become effective. How did you make that leap from school board to the general assembly? That's a big jump too. it, It was a big jump. And so in 2018, I got fired. So I lost that election. Okay, sure. But it actually ended up being a great thing because being on the school board during COVID would have been like, yeah, that, I had a graduating so senior. They canceled graduation. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Lockdown. It was, I mean, I would have lost my mind Fine, fighting yeah. for, for our kids and our families. So it was good. It was a good break for me. And I was actually appointed by our governor to our community college. Uh, oh, wow. trustees. And so that was great because it gave me just another layer of experience mm-hmm. and networking and meeting people and making a difference in a different way and how to put those connections together. And then so I decided to run for state delegate when our state delegate in my district, he decided to run for governor. Okay. And so, you know, this is my chance to keep making a difference in education at the state level. Because when you're on a school board, so much gets pushed down from the state. Yep. I'm like, okay, now I have this this experience here. I've got to take it somewhere else. Yeah. So that's okay. That's awesome. I think that that's t- a huge risk, you know, to, to keep on reaching higher essentially. Yes. And so that's uh, impressive that you went after it again. And that kind of like resiliency you hear about, I think people take it for granted that politicians often, you know, you put your neck out there and sometimes you lose. And, and sometimes you lose. And what are you going to do with right. it? And you just have to wake up the next morning. You have to decide. what you're going to be and you don't let it define you and you just keep reaching for what you want to accomplish. And I think just the courage it takes to lose an election and then say, hey, I still think I can do this again and try again and win and to even higher levels. That's amazing. And so I'm just always, I love hearing this. That's why I always ask the question because it's like, it's fun to hear the people that say, yeah, I I did lose. I lost three times and then here I am. So I, I love that. As you look to 2024 legislative session, do you have a particular policy passion you're ready to go for? Are you are there big issues you're you're ready to? I mean, there's always big there's issues, always of issues. course. Um, but is there something that's your kind of pet project? Are you running legislation on something you want to sort of share your your passion with us? Absolutely, of course, it's education. I sit on our yep. Ways and Means Committee, which is education and the edu- education subcommittee and election law, which is which is very very interesting to me. Um, I love my community. It's amazing. I work with amazing people. We're, I'm in a super minority. I'm a Republican in mm-hmm. a Democrat state, super majority. But we can bring such balance to pieces of legislation and such a different perspective a lot of times. So it's really great to have colleagues that that want that bipartisanship, right? Even yep. in, a, in a super majority situation. So that's incredibly important to me. And so what I'm focusing on is um, education. I've been a huge parent rights advocate mm-hmm. ever since. I mean, when I ran for school board, I was running literally as a parent. I'm, I'm, my whole thing is I'm a parent, not a politician. I'm still a parent, not yep. a politician. I don't consider myself a particularly good politician because I'm incredibly straightforward, honest, and yeah. it is what, you know, it is what it is. Not and this spinning is, it. No, I'm not spinning <laughs> anything. This is me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when you, when you have that level of desire to fight for a group that's often, and especially in states like mine, that, that where the teacher's union voice can be 
more important than the parent's voice. And, and we have a lot of issues in education right now. Parents are really fighting have that voice in their in their child's education. And we heard it here today. There, there are children that are being just passed through, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're not getting skills that they need COVID, the shutdown. So I'm yeah. doing some legislation to try to help with some of the COVID-related delays that either young children are having or gaps in education because it's going to affect our college students. It's going to affect our future professions mm-hmm. when you have these gaps in in education. So that's definitely something I'm still fighting for. We have something called the Blueprint for Education, which has a lot of great ideas and it's going to cost us billions of dollars in our state. But unfortunately, it was written pre-COVID and we haven't updated it a lot for post-COVID world. We learned a lot of lessons in between. So some of those fixes. And one other one is very interesting. Two things that I'm very excited about. One is I had a motorcycle bill I know, right? Yeah, I know. I, I look totally like a motorcycle. Model. You guys can see me. I totally, totally biker too. But one of the things in Maryland, we have really strict car seat laws. Yeah, super strict car seat laws. Yeah, we have no laws for kids being a, a get on the back of a motorcycle. Oh, really? Right. Wow. So we, yeah, we had, I had a situation where a constituent, there was a divorce situation and the mom would literally take her child out of the car seat in the minivan where we had, we folks said, you know, you have to be in the car seat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so take the child out of the car seat and hand them over to their spouse, uh, ex-spouse, and they would put the child, I think the child is either three or four on the back of a motorcycle and fly down the highway. Please. Oh my goodness. Wow. Wow. So I reached out. I actually um, looked at a lot of the laws around the yeah. country. That's why places like this yeah. um, and, and bipartisan women's groups like this are so important because mm-hmm. you can get all the legislation. You can talk about different perspectives. And so I actually, the one I modeled it most after was California's law, mm-hmm. which is so funny, especially me as a Republican. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm sure that goes um, over well at the caucus yeah, meeting. Oh, it seems like a very logical, I hope there's bipartisan. Yeah. Yeah. And they were everyone on the committee um, that, that I presented to it was so incredibly supported, both That's Democrats, great. Republicans, didn't matter. And so, and it's very simple. I even got our motorcycle organizations on board with at least not opposing it because right. it's such common sense. And it's just basically that you can reach the rear footholds if you're able. And so that you have that balance. And yeah. So it, was, it wasn't putting a minimum height. It wasn't putting a minimum weight. It was because there's kids are all different shape sizes and right. everything like that. And so that was, was what I came up with. And I, so it passed the house, super excited about that. Then it died in the Senate, like so many good things. So I'm hoping we can do that one, we again. Can do that one again. Yeah, I that one's so. really and then I've been really talking about um, something that came to me at, again, another women's conference where you're sitting there. And I'm really concerned about safety for women, mm-hmm. uh, the trucking discussion that we had earlier today with having more women in, in trucking, yep. but having safe places for them to change, work. Yep things like that. Same Mm -hmm. things with our electric vehicle infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We're not considering women in Mm. where we're putting these chargers and where they're located. So if you're putting it, even if you're putting it at a, at an outlet mall, that outlet mall closes. I don't only drive my car while that outlet, that outlet mall is open. Right. So in, when you're coming up to a charger, you're low on battery. Usually, mm-hmm. your cell phone would be dying. How many of us have had that situation yeah, happen? Yeah, no, right? absolutely. And so, if you're and then so you're plugged into the charger, so there's a safety issue with that. Yeah. 
How do we look at that? We look to what we've done on our college campuses. Almost yeah. all of them have blue lights. Yeah. So yeah. I'm looking at ways that we can install the blue light system oh, wow. with the electric vehicle charging stations. And how do we get that into the infrastructure as we're going forward? Nice. So, and I was actually just talking to our scholarship winners. Okay. And, yeah, and they had a couple great ideas too, as far as uh, connecting it to some apps and programs. So the more things that you go in, the more, that's why I'm bringing it up next. Yeah, no, this is great. I mean, I love it. Another yeah. logical kind of solution to a, a problem that we hadn't even thought yeah, about because no, that's great. they're not usually designing it with women. Yeah you know, in mind and range anxiety is huge. Mm -hmm. You know, I won't drive my for on a trip over three hours because of not like, yeah. Wow. No, that's great. Those are two, that's some great issues looking ahead. So our final question we ask all our guests is just what your advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, my younger self, believe in myself (laughs) to believe in myself that I have the potential to make a difference Mm -hmm. and that there are voices that need to be heard and representing those people that don't feel like they can speak up. Mm-hmm. They feel uncomfortable speaking up. Mm-hmm. Is so you need to empower them using your voice because you're not the only one that usually either feels that way or believes that way. And so the more power that you can give to that, the yeah. idea, the thought, like just sitting down and having this discussion. I mean, that's where I really feel like women shine because we have relationships. We we bring relationships to things, right? Mm -hmm. And just a a different perspective that is is so incredibly important. And so my younger self was very insecure. Hmm. I was not, I would not have been voted most likely to be a politician. I had a uh, teacher that made a huge difference in my life and I was going on a wrong path in ninth grade. And, uh, the course of study in science mm-hmm. is what led me to change my and changing your friends, changing my friend group, changing who you hang around with. Who you yeah. hang around with, you're going to become in a lot of situations, yeah, no, right? So, and that changed my life. So, education changed my life, and now I want to put that forward, right? I want us to our kids. I want them to empower our kids to reach their dreams. And that's, if I could go back to my younger self, you never know where you're going to end up. I would have never <laughs> thought that I would end up on the state house. You know, it's crazy. And now let's turn over to Councilwoman Asipa Dawson. I have been lucky to know Councilwoman Asipa Dawson of Federal Way, Washington for several years now, as we are lucky to have her as a voice, as an active participant for NFWL. For a podcast, I was able to sit down with her and talk about work and policy priorities that she has on the council. Throughout her career in public service, Councilwoman Nasipa Dawson has dedicated herself to strengthening her community through home ownership and financial literacy with a focus on self-sufficiency. Thank you so much, Councilwoman Nasipa Dawson, for joining us today on Elected Women Across America, NFWL's podcast, where we get to know elected women. And thank you for joining us here in Orlando at our annual conference. We love having you as part of our program, and it's always great to see you every time we can catch up. So I'm just really grateful for your time and energy. Thank you for having me. I always appreciate being here. So we're going to just jump right in, and we want to know, you know, what inspired you to run for office? How did you make that decision and take the leap to, to just do it? I actually believe that this office found me. Mm. So I used to work for a city government as a staffer, and I've always thought this would be a good place to be because they're always talking about policy, mm-hmm. and they're the last call. You know, they're the ones who who make the decision for the cities. And so there was in the back of my head there was a level of interest, mm-hmm. 
but I decided I can only run if appointed. That's mm-hmm. where I'm going to start. Okay. Like that. Right. And I was also raising kids, so it took me a while to finally get it. But the call came when there was a vacancy, and the person who called me was a, a state representative. His name was Roger Freeman. He's since passed, but he was the only black person on the council. Oh, wow. Uh, and I believe he was the first African-American on the council. So he called me. He says, okay, there's a vacancy. We need representation. We need you. Show up. So I called all the people I knew okay. who were council members at the time from different cities. And mm-hmm. I said, okay, I need to do this. Or what do you think? They're all like validating, assuring, saying, go for it. You can do it. You're great at it. Fine, do it. So finally I applied and there I was. And that's how I really got got started. And I realized mm-hmm. I loved the work. Yeah, that's awesome. And how long have you been serving? So it'll be coming on 10 years. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yes. Time flies. <laughs> yeah. uh, as you look, I get maybe I guess if you look, as you look back to your 10 years, are there any moments of just something that you feel like you really were able to accomplish and, and those moments of success that you want to share? So as one of seven, mm-hmm. it's not always easy to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. However, what I've learned through on this journey is it's okay to agree to disagree mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, you are working together and it's a collective effort that makes a city run. Yep. So early on, I learned that. And I also learned that my voice matters. Yeah. And so speaking up, and there are times when I'm the only person disagreeing or agreeing, you know, you know one mm-hmm. way or the other. And when that happens, I've also learned that it's okay because you have said what you need to say and I can go home and sleep, sleep, sleep well. peacefully. So, and so yeah. to me, it's just being integrous and being my true self. Mm-hmm. It, if I, this has evolved, right? Mm-hmm. Day one, no, I was very uncomfortable. I was not sure of myself. And then to this moment, I think that's really my personal journey mm-hmm. is what has been success. But there are issues that are very important to me that I'm passionate about and people are aware of it. Yeah, And so I fight for it. Whether or not it happens though is out of outside of my control. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I can see that for sure. I think it must it must be hard to always be the voice of dissent, you know, or, or whatever, or, or assent, whatever it may be in that case, to kind of be that that lone voice that maybe is different. And and it might be easy to say, well, what does it matter even saying anything if it doesn't have an, make a difference? But if nobody's saying it, and then nobody's saying it, and then nobody's saying it, never gets said, and then nobody even thinks that there's another point of view out there. So I think it's it's very impressive to keep kind of banging that drum and say, hey, I'm saying this on behalf of the people that aren't here to speak up. And that's your job as an elected official. And I'm sure yes. you're representing your community very well by doing that. So and like I said, it didn't happen overnight. It mm-hmm. took time. And I was always excited and happy when people agreed with me. And, and it's like, ah, they're saying it. I don't need to worry about it. I don't want to. I don't, you know, it's being said. Yep. But my voice was never represented or heard, even mm-hmm. when I agreed, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, why repeat what somebody else is saying? But I think, like I said, since then I've learned whether it's agreeing or dissent, I think it's very valuable mm-hmm. to speak up because people watch you, people know that you care, mm-hmm. and you're adding something to what's already been said. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where my journey has taken me, is to say, I'm okay one way or the other. Yeah, but it has to be addressed or said. I think we see this all the time. Even all the elected women, there were some today who said, "Hey, I don't, I don't want to vote for this or the res- resolution. I want to say something, but I don't want to say anything." And I'm like, "Say something, <laughs> please do." Like that's the, that's the point, you know. Discourse is discourse. We, you know, we can all respect each other and still disagree and say your piece. And even if you're not going to sway the audience, you've said your piece, and that and it is what it is. And I think that's that that's. Piece. 
Yes. So powerful and so at the core of what NFWL is for, which is this bipartisan goal of trying to get people comfortable in, in disagreeing and and also still being friends and still finding ways forward. So I'm glad that you have that in your community as well, even if it may not always feel that way. So tell us a little bit about your community and who you represent. So I come from the city of Federal Way and the mm-hmm. greatest state of Washington. Yes. <laughs> um, population about 101,000. And um, currently the minority population is growing. We The school district says we have over 107 languages spoken. Wow. And I think that's who I represent is the people awesome. who don't even know where the city hall is. People mm-hmm. who, like I'm from Ethiopia originally. Yep. And police is not your friend the police is your mm-hmm. enemy or you don't want to approach them or city hall who goes to you know these offices they're unapproachable mm-hmm. and i think being there and saying okay this is what the minority groups this is what immigrants need this is what the bipoc population needs mm-hmm. i think having that lens has mm-hmm. been very helpful my day job because this is part-time. I know, right? Um, I work for the housing authority so that's also the same population that i serve that i see mm-hmm. uh, on a regular basis and so i have that relationship mm-hmm. with, with constituents because of, again, my, my role there and building those relationships, making it not transactional, mm-hmm. making sure that what, what you're doing is genuine. Yep. Even if I, I can't help you, if I can't serve you, but at least saying that genuinely with love and with compassion, people see through that. Yeah. And so that really is what gets me going every day and gets me excited. Yeah. And hopefully, especially the younger generations could say that I, now that I live in the United States, I can make a difference. Mm-hmm. This is my new home. Yep. And somebody else is doing it. So I can do this. Uh, one prime example is in King County now we have mm-hmm. six elected Ethiopians. Wow. And just in the county. It's amazing. Throughout the nation, maybe there's one or two more people. Oh, there. wow. And so what that shows me is, first yes. of all, I think I, I'm the, I know I was the first uh, council member in the country possibly. Wow. But in my county, to have that was they saw it mm-hmm. and they knew they could do it and that. they're doing it, right? So, um, and it's not that I went out and, and solicited it. Right, or could just, just like, by doing it. By doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's so exciting to see this many people representing their cities and representing my community, you yeah. know? I think we hear this all the time, representation matters. And, you know, you see it in the media in terms of like, who's, you know, the protagonist of the shows and things like that. But it's true. I mean, I think representation matters and no easier case in point than seeing yourself in the council and having people follow in your footsteps is is amazing. And that's awesome. So I'm glad to hear (laughs) that. That's exciting. As you look to 2024, are there issues that you're excited? Is there, do you have a plan of action? What are, what is very important to our city, I know, is like addressing homelessness, mental mm-hmm. health issues, drug use, and mm-hmm. all these things. And they're very important. My thing right now, hopefully 2024 moving forward, because I just got reelected. So mm-hmm. I you know, believe I may have four more years. Nice. And to, there's other initiatives that I'm really looking to, whether or not my council agrees. Um, there's such thing as um, there's a, a new initiative not in our city, mm-hmm. but it's Black Homeownership Initiative. And so being a part of that and making sure that Black people do end up being homeowners yeah. in the community. That's awesome. Um, that's what I'm pushing for. Again, that's just my personal agenda. Yeah, I know, but that's but great. Hopefully the city embraces it. We're doing stuff like financial literacy, which I've been wanting to for years. Mm-hmm. And I think it just got traction yeah. now this year. So that's another thing that I know is very important to me. And that's, I know is important to our city. And I think acknowledging that and saying that we do need these programs 
yeah. for our community and for our constituents is very important to me. So I'm excited about those things. And, uh, you know, again, uh, addressing homelessness, nobody wants to be homeless. I know, that's I hard. I grew up saying or hearing anybody say, I want to be homeless. No, of course. But at the same time, we don't look at, we want to get mad at them if they don't want housing or whatever, but we don't look at the trauma that got them there. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't address those issues, the person's going to go back out. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. So how do we even care enough to talk to the individuals, see them mm-hmm. and hear them mm-hmm. and try to meet them where they're at yep. rather than this is what you need. And if you don't take it, hey, get out of here. It doesn't work. Yeah. I don't want to be treated that way. Mm-hmm. I don't treat anybody that way. No, so, I love that. It's no. not an easy problem to solve, but no. any and all focus, I think that you all can bring to ending homelessness and trying to create some pathways to solution, I think is, is great. And I know it's hard. End it. We know that. Yeah. But how do you at least mitigate mm-hmm. and make sure that the people feel like they're human beings? There's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff that happened during COVID that made me even realize it more. Mm-hmm. It's like you go into a restaurant. No, there were no restaurants open. Libraries right. were closed. Everything is like, where do you even go, you know, to use the restroom? Right? Yeah. And my compassion even got stuck. I need to go somewhere because I'm on the road. Mm-hmm. But at least I don't, you know, I've, I, when, when you're not woke also, mm-hmm. right? So the, the layer of, of, of traumatizing, re-traumatizing people. Mm-hmm. But also I uh, feel that way very strongly because my job prior was, um, I was the housing director for people living with HIV AIDS. Oh, wow. Their stories were amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They all have stories. Yeah. They weren't there all their lives, right? So right. They weren't, on, you know, at the bottom of the... Right. So, yeah, something happened. So, yeah. something happened, but they had some, you know, some boy, you know, they they had good jobs. Yeah. Home, family, children. And then to feel like you don't count, you don't matter. Mm-hmm. That's okay. painful. No, it is painful. You guys, you work so much and it's always incremental change, you know, one day at a time. But I know you're representing your community really well. And thank you so much for... I'm trying. And thank you so much for this time. I appreciate you. I appreciate appreciate you. With Black History Month soon approaching as we look to February, NFWL is excited to feature the voices of Black elected women who shape our organization and our country at large. Tune in next time when we'll hear from Commissioner Rena Moran about her work on the Crown Act and more throughout the month. This has been Elected Women Across America. Thanks for listening. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll continue to bring you more stories from the women who serve.